kind of funny that just two weeks ago, we did a show talking about beginnings, and here I am sharing with all of you an end. As many of you listen to this, literally right now, Nick is driving across the United States back to his home in St. Louis, and I'm about to board a flight, leaving San Francisco after almost 19 years of calling it home. And yet as we both depart Northern California for separate destinations, this is an episode about community what it is, why it matters, how we embrace it, and also how to let it go. Community is a living organism, always changing, and so perhaps it is appropriate that this entire episode, from writing to recording to editing, is being produced in a constant state of moving. And yet, as miles are traveled and distances expand, our community might bend a little bit, but it does not break. And in fact, in our case, it's growing. Welcome to Where There's Smoke, the show where we explore self-development through the lens of current events, sports, and pop culture. On this week's show, we talk community and how it has evolved with the help of technology. We hear from you, yes you, about some of your favorite communities, and we have a brilliant conversation with educator Jeff Utek. Buckle up, because we're moving. My name is Brett Gaida, and I am your host. Community is a group of people who share common goals, interests, characteristics, attitudes, and until very recently, a place. A community has traditionally been locked by location as much as anything else, but these days, that limitation is gone. And while physical communities still exist, the majority of the communities most of us interact with today live and breathe independent of any physical place. They don't remember a time without cell phones. They have never had to actually call a physical place to find somebody. They've always called people, not places. That is international educator Jeff Utek in his TEDx talk entitled Community Trumps Content. In this presentation, he breaks down four groups of people. One, digital immigrants, people born before 1977. Digital technology was introduced in their lifetime. Two, digital natives. These people grew up with computers and eventually the internet. Three, the web generation, people born after 1991 when the web as we know it was created. They have no experience of a world without the internet. And now, the mobile generation. These are kids that are growing up expecting to be mobile. That might never touch a desktop computer. They've grown up in a time when laptops have always outsold desktop computers. Now, for each of these generations of sorts, I'll suggest the purpose of communities has been relatively similar. However, what has changed is the means of achieving them. Technology allows us to create communities like never before. Blogs, wikis, Facebook, Reddit, Twitter, etc. Things that used to only be able to exist in a physical space now exist in just space. And as amazing as this is, you'll see there is still a great amount of resistance to it. Before we get to that, though, let's take a step back to define community and explore what it provides us. By definition, the concept of community is relatively simple. It's a group of people connected by a shared interest who interact in some way. And looking back on my life, I can see how vital community has been to me. At any given time, I've either been building one, joining one, leaving one, engaged in one, or searching for the next one, sometimes all at once. And there is no doubt that I have been my happiest and my most successful when I am in a flourishing community. 
why is that? Beyond a definition of what community is to us, what do we get from it? Why do we need it? To find some possible answers to these questions, I decided to go to my communities, those that exist online and offline, those made up of people I have known for years and others of people I barely know. One of my conversations was with my friend Paige. Paige and I first met 17 years ago, and she perhaps knows me better than anyone in San Francisco. In addition to that, she has always been a great source of wisdom for me, especially when discussing human relationships. As we reflected on the idea of community, she said this to me. I think that the reason we have community is because it shows us at least one side of ourself and sometimes a couple of others because they're reflected back to us so that we aren't constrained or confined by only knowing ourselves through ourselves. Of all the things I identified that we get out of community, this one stuck with me as perhaps the most powerful and significant. That through our communities, we experience ourselves. And perhaps only through community, through others, can we experience the full expression of ourselves. It has been said that we are all one, all connected. As a matter of fact, we have now proven this is true on a quantum level. And we're now realizing that that paradigm is wrong that we aren't separate, we are all one. We're all together. At the very nethermost element of our being, we are connected. And but grasping at something intellectually and having an actual experience with it is very different. It is the difference between truly knowing something as opposed to just knowing about it. And so perhaps this knowing is one of community's greatest gifts. And so the biggest thing that we can do, I think, as human beings is to find those points of interest that join us together so that we can have the experience of being connected versus just the intellectual knowing that somebody told us that everything in the solar system and everything in the universe is connected to everything else. We all know the age-old question, if a tree falls in a forest and no one is around to hear it, does it make a sound? Well, if we live life and never connect with others, never see ourselves through their reflection, do we experience ourselves at all? It is perhaps through our communities that we flourish, through being seen, through being loved. You've just stopped being a study group. You've become something unstoppable. I hereby pronounce you a community. If this is true, that through our communities we experience a large part of our growth, then we must constantly be aware of whether or not the communities we are in are still thriving and still serving us. Remember, they are living organisms, always changing, just like us. Years ago, I built an incredible community in San Francisco, and we had one hell of a run. I was reminded of this as a group of us gathered for one last dinner and dance party. But the truth is, while each of these people are my dear friends, the community we shared is now gone. Most of it dissolved years ago, and while many of the people are still here, everything is different now. Not just us, the city, the energy, the world around us, everything. You can't go back. But sometimes we get caught in that trap. We try to live our lives retroactively because we had that visceral experience, that intense experience of being seen and known with a group of people or even with a single individual. And we want to recapture it. We want to feel it again. Because often when we say goodbye to someone in our life, we say goodbye to a version of ourselves in the process. We were not supposed to leave. 
Yes, we were. We have to go back, Kate. We have to go back! I remember first facing this idea the morning of my 32nd birthday. It is a vivid recollection because of how hard it hit me. After an incredible party the night before, I woke up alone. But more than that, I felt alone. I found myself thinking about and missing my first love, which was not an uncommon thing back then. However, this time I realized something I had never realized before. I didn't miss her. I missed my experience of me when I was with her. And recently I had a revelation around the idea of being in love. You know, people will often say, well, you love him, but are you in love with him? And I was never really sure what that meant. But now I'll say that if there is a difference, I think it is this. Being in love with someone is wanting the experience you have of yourself through that person. So when we are in a great community, we are in love with the experience we are having of ourselves through that community. And when we lose it, we want that experience back. And we think it is in that community, but it isn't because that community has already changed. That's why it's gone. Each element of it has evolved and there is no going back. Instead, we find ourselves wanting for something that is no longer available, not through the path we once found it. So why do we do this? Try to go back instead of forward? Well, for one, the brain likes what's comfortable. And even though it is ultimately more painful, it harkens back to a concept we discussed in our fear episode. When it comes to fears, we are heavily influenced by the most immediate ones, the most spectacular ones, and those that carry the most emotion for us. And so we want to hold on to what we know. We want to reshape it, realign it, reposition it so it feels like it did before again. Because the alternative is the unknown. And that is scary. And we perceive it as more painful. Often when we find ourselves in between communities, we are trying to find another layer of ourselves. And that's why it feels so uncomfortable. You are creating a new sense of self, sometimes by choice, leaving a community you realize is no longer serving you. And sometimes it is thrust upon you when community leaves you. Either way, there is a gift in it. If you want to evolve, you can't be around the same people all the time. At some point, you need a new reflection, a new mirror. And so as my life is personally evolving right now, so is this show. Creating this show requires constant communication between Nick and I. Concept to air in five to seven days, exchanging ideas, concerns, notes, encouragement, and support the whole time. That was easy when we were sitting back to back in the same room. Now, as the distance grows, we must embrace other ways to keep uh, our community you know, alive, specifically technology. Get, uh, Skype, text, Voxer, email, Google Drive, FaceTime, and anything else short of telepathy. Well, actually, maybe a little bit of that, too. Want to build a cardboard submarine? Get out of my brain. As I've been preparing to leave San Francisco, I haven't been sad to say goodbye to anyone because, in fact, I don't feel like I am. And that is not only a belief that I will see many of these people again, it is knowing that we still have community. My Facebook newsfeed is a community. My Instagram page, my Twitter account, my text groups, all communities. This is the new evolution of community. It is no longer confined to a place. With technology, a community can exist across hundreds of thousands of miles and it is only limited by the interests of those who consider themselves to be a member.
I just wish we'd spend a little bit more time in awe and appreciation of the technology that allows us to create communities like never before, and less time being afraid of the evolution. These days, it seems it's almost trendy to attack technology and claim that this great connector is actually doing the opposite. Did you know the average person spends four years of his life looking down at his cell phone? See, technology has made us more selfish and separate than ever. Because while it claims to connect us, connection has gotten no better. And let me express now I know that just last week we talked about the importance of looking up, away from our screens, but that does not mean there is no value in looking down. Where there's smoke connects with people all over the world because of technology. A listener in Africa told us this show saved his life. Does that sound like connection has gotten no better? I've been touched by emails, tweets, Facebook posts, iTunes reviews from listeners on six continents. Connection has got no better? It is not new for people to chastise others in the process of change. As you will hear in our interview with Jeff Utech in Act 2, some people actually believe that the ballpoint pen would doom our children. The ballpoint pen. What really strikes me is that the generations that are most fearful and resistant of the mobile evolution are the generations, the same people, who brought to fruition all the ideas and all the technology that they now fear. The progress of a community is not meant to be controlled. If you want people to embrace a vision, you must understand that they will make that vision their own. You must let go of the wheel and be willing to let what happens next happen. Hmm. And here I am, talking to myself again as I talk to you. For this is a train I have now boarded. The willingness to both let my communities evolve into their next manifestation and to let myself do the same. I've been living out a pattern that was completely lived out. It was done, but I hadn't let go of it yet. And now change is upon me, and I am uncomfortable, unsure, unnerved, but at least I'm moving. And here is the great news. I don't leave community behind. In fact, my community is growing. As Nick and I travel thousands of miles from where we created this show, sitting back to back in the same room, the Where There's Smoke community grows all over the world. As we drift apart physically, we continue to become closer through our interest in the show and our commitment to create something that we're both proud of. And right now, as this show is being produced, we are literally in motion. I started writing it on a six-hour flight. Nick is editing it as he drives across the country. It is being released the day my movers come. And if you're listening to this on Wednesday, April 29th, then I'm on a plane traveling to my new home base. The physical place where we first planted the WTS flag stays in San Francisco. However, its core, its heartbeat, is not there. It is with us. It is with you, with our community, wherever it goes, wherever it grows. Hey guys, it's Nick, and uh, I'm talking to you from outside my hotel in beautiful Denver, Colorado. It is 12.57 at night. It's been a lot of driving and a lot of editing, 
I may have taken too much motion sickness medicine, and you can ask Brett about that later. And uh, But quickly, we just wanted to thank you for your support of the show. And also, we asked you on our Facebook page, and we do have a Facebook page, but we asked you if you had any favorite online communities that meant a lot to you and why and what they were. And so we just thought we'd take a couple minutes and share some of the things that you said about the value of these digital communities in your life. So again, thank you for your support and thank you for listening. And uh, I'll see you guys in a thousand miles or a week, whichever comes first. Hey, this is Kevin Tomlinson, the Wordslinger from Houston, Texas. And uh, the community that I belong to that I I sort of cherish the most is the community that's kind of built up around the self-publishing podcast and uh, Johnny B. Truant and Sean Platt and uh, David Wright, the the three hosts of that. You know, we have uh, an online presence in Google Hangouts. The uh, Unboxers of Fiction community is one of them. Uh, We also get together on GroupMe. And they're a constant source of strength, uh, a constant source of, you know, new information and new ideas for how to promote my business and, you know, how to do this stuff better. <laughs> hey, this is Jack Fussell in Copenhagen, Denmark. Um, as a photographer, um, I'm, I connect with a lot of people through Facebook. There's a, a Visco a group of us that processes only using Visco. And so that's a, a major place of connection for me. Hi, Brett. It's Mark Fussy up in Vancouver. You know, an online community that I'm super passionate about is Creative Mornings. Uh, I produce and host these free monthly uh, lecture series on creativity up here, and I love it um, for a whole bunch of reasons. But simply, the fact that it has connected me uh, in really meaningful ways to my own community, my own city, and then to cities across my country, and to you know, well over a hundred cities around the world online via the network. It's amazing. It's it's so incredible to see how other cities and other creative people and thinkers um, express themselves in other cultures. Hey, Brett. This is uh, Ricky from Atlanta. Just want to let you know uh, the online community I belong to is the professional wrestling community. Um, I've always loved it, and I've always enjoyed it ever since I was a kid, but being online with so many people, it's almost like you have thousands of people sitting right there with you in your living room. So, thanks. Love the show. Extending the conversation from Act 1 of this week's show, I reached out to educator and consultant Jeff Utek. We heard briefly from Jeff in Act 1 through his TEDx talk, and it was great to connect with him personally. I really enjoyed this conversation, and I think there is a ton of food for thought. I will say that keeping with today's theme of movement and change, this interview came together while I was on the road and was recorded without my normal microphone. So just a heads up, the audio quality is a bit below what we normally deliver to you, but I don't think you'll have any issue absorbing every word. As we jump into the conversation, we're talking about the adaption and resistance to the chalkboard being introduced in schools. I asked him to comment on this pattern, that things are always changing, people always freak out, and then everything ends up okay. I call it the 2.5%. That everywhere in our, I mean, in, in education as much as in the world, there's been this 2.5% that are the that are the pushers. And your idea of, of the chalkboard is one. And even in the research and in the talk, I talk about, you know, it came even before that when we went to give kids a slate. 
And all of a sudden, we wanted every kid to have a slate and chalk. There was a huge uproar because the idea was, is, is what happens if they drop and break it? They won't be able to write anymore. There was a huge uproar in education when the ballpoint pen came out because they said we were going to have to lose a skill. And I think this is where we are struggling with as a society is what skills are we willing to give up? Mm. Because the skill that the, this was the parents, the pushback from the parents were that kids will no longer know how to sharpen a pencil with a knife. Therefore, we should never teach them to use a pen. And there's no way because, because pens are so extravagant that the business world will ever adopt them. And here's this whole pushback. You know, there was a pushback on calculators. Remember? Yeah. And, and the pushback on calculators wasn't that kids weren't going to learn to multiply. It was they wouldn't know how to use the reference table in the back of the book. Right. And what happens if we change that? And, and we're going through, and, and specifically in education, but as a society at large, I think we're going through these transitions of trying to understand what skills do we give up? Do we still teach handwriting? This is a big one right now. Cursive handwriting in schools. I don't know. Are we willing to give up that skill knowing that I can turn in my taxes with nothing more than a signature on a piece of paper? That a digital signature now by government standards is just as legal as a written one. You know, I think there's, we, we have to think about what are the skills we're willing to give up. And we always have, you know, we were an oral society. We moved to a written society and with things like your podcast, with things like video on YouTube, we are moving to a visual audio society. How much more, I mean, how much do we want kids to read this whole idea that this, this generation is reading less than a generation before? I don't know. I think they're reading different. I think most of their reading is coming in tweets, Facebook updates. I don't know if they're reading less. They're reading different. And, and, and you know, are we going to give up that idea of long form reading? I don't know. And so I think we're really, we're really struggling with this, right? As a society of what, what do we give up? It's funny. I was, I was trying to look up research and talk about how great social media is and how much it connects us. And it seems like all I can find right now is how people are saying it disconnects us, right? And how dangerous it is that we're losing ourselves in our phones. And most of the people doing these talks are, you know, people that don't fit in to the mobile generation and frank and don't even fit into the to the internet generation, right? They're 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 kind of, you know, they're they're the Gen Xers and the and the right. baby boomers, right? Right. So in that, I mean, how much of this is maybe just this idea of like how do we escape our own sense of self, mm. right? Because we have, we have this sense of like, I mean, these people, tr I think, truly believe, and don't get me wrong, I don't want to live my whole life staring at my phone. It's just maybe a bad analogy, but it's kind of like, you know, there was a point where people said punk rock wasn't music or graffiti isn't art. And now, right. you know, here we are at this point where a lot of people are trying to tell us that looking at your phone is, is avoiding connection when it actually is connection. Or Absolutely. Right? And, and the point, the point that I make is I, I have people stop and reflect, just stop and reflect for a second. What percentage of the time when you're on any device, are you actually contacting or communicating with somebody else? I would say for the majority of the population, it's probably at least 90 to 95% of the time that you are in your cell phone, you're on your iPad, you're on your laptop, whether it's email, instant messaging, phone calls, Facebook, Twitter, everything is about people connecting and talking to other people. And part of what, where this comes from, I think, is that part of my realization in thinking about this was, you know, this idea of if you go back to bef before there was a web browser, you know, and we just had AOL, that's all AOL did. AOL 
it was instant messaging, email, news groups. It was everything about people talking to people. That's what the web is. It, when we're staring into our phones, the majority of the time, we're not by ourselves. We're being more social than ever. Yeah. You know, as I travel the world, you see this in every culture. This isn't just one culture. I mean, what, what the phone itself is doing, just the, just the phone is doing in places like Kenya, in places like Laos. Like you can look up some of the things that are happening in developing countries because of the cell phone and the connection to each other that is occurring with it and what it's doing to the economies of those countries is unbelievable. Yeah. One of the messages I want to get across is can we take a moment and maybe some people are doing this, but I'm not hearing a lot of them, and really both not just celebrate social media, but I actually think like honor the work that people put in to social media and the web in order to connect. And, like, and I think it's a, it's, it's a pretty amazing thing. And I feel like, I don't know if, 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 if people are doing that. I don't know. What, do you, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it's where we are right now is, you know, we love it. And I think the problem is, is every time there's something that is this easy and this good, that there must be something wrong with it. You know, I think my grandfather is uh, 86 years old, bought him a laptop, hooked him up with Skype, and he every week gets to visit his great grandchildren on the other side of the world. Now, uh, at one side, everybody would say, well, that's an amazing use of technology. Yeah, but my grandfather is still sitting by himself in his house. If that was a teenager doing that, what would you say? And, and I think we're just in this place where it is so amazing on what is being built, the way that we're connecting globally for the first time ever as a human race in a way that is instant, that, that there's so much pushback because we, we, we don't really, I think the majority of people are still in the, the wow stage. And, you know, right now, I think the latest statistics are that half of all internet people that have access to the internet are also on Facebook, right? There's something like 2.4 billion people in the world that have internet access. And there's like 1.3 billion or 1.2 billion that have Facebook accounts. I mean, when you think of that alone, what is the true power of this connection? And, and to me, I think that's where, you know, I, I, in the work that I do in education is trying to help educators see that not only do do we not need to be afraid of it with students, but we better help them understand how to use it moving forward. Because this really is going to be their world. And, and I'm not saying that this kind of communication, you know, you and I sitting here talking and, and we're face to face and, and, you know, we're reading body expressions and that is still important. And, and we still need to emphasize that. And that's really, I think, what school is for, you know, the, that, that social piece, both physically and, and digitally. And so, I mean, we're not going to lose that, but I think we have to enhance it. And I think that's what's going to happen with the internet and where these connections are going. It seems like we get into these conversations about, is this, good or bad, right or wrong, right? Is this a good thing? Is this happening or a bad thing? And I love that you said many times in different ways, like, I don't know, because the truth of it is we don't know. No. And I feel like, you know, maybe what a lot of this is about, whether we're talking about community or communication or conversations, is how do we become value neutral to change, mm. right? So that, so that it's not, it's not an argument of one side saying that, the ballpoint pen is going to be great and the other side saying the ballpoint pen, but that actually we have this value neutrality where we just go, you know what? It just is change. Does that make sense? Yeah. 
Yeah. And I think, I think a part of that is, is I think we as humans are, are hardwired to not like change. <laughs> you know, I, we really like our comfort zones. We like, we like what we know. We like, we, you know, we just figure things out. And I think part of the problem is specifically with technology is it's, it's perceived to be moving so fast that, and, and it is like, if you're not into technology, you know, you just learn how to run this computer. And next thing you know, this computer's dead and you have to upgrade Well, the operating systems changed. And now you feel like you have to learn a whole new system, you know, or you have to go re you replace your TV and oh my gosh, it's a whole different remote, like the remote, there's nothing the same on the remote. And, and so I think we get this, this overwhelming feeling that things are moving faster than I think they actually are. But I don't know how we get to that point. I, I wish it was that point. What I try to tell people is you need to get comfortable always being a beginner. <laughs> if, if you don't, if you, if you feel like, or don't worry about ever mastering anything and you just take things on as new, exciting challenges, I think the world's an amazing place. You know, every time we moved to a new city, we were so excited to figure it out. And what is that mindset that, that we need to start instilling in people as we become more and more global is that, yeah, I don't know how to speak Chinese and yet I'm going to move to Shanghai, live for three years and figure it out, you know, and by the end of my three years, I can talk to the crepe lady on the corner and order a crepe every three, you know, every third morning for breakfast and have just, just not, not deep conversation, but you know, she's teaching me words. I'm trying out words. And this, this idea of, of constantly being a learner. And I feel like that at some point, I don't know when that happens, is that we've all of a sudden feel like, okay, we're supposed to master things now, right? And once we decide we're going to master things, then we don't want things to change because it means we have to, it throws us back into being a learner again, you know, where if you can stay with that, that in, in, in education, we call it a growth mindset. If you can stay with a growth mindset, what does that do to us? Because then I think change becomes neutral Yeah. because change is constant. It always has been. I want to thank Jeff for taking the time to talk to me on very short notice. The one-stop shop to find Jeff is jeffutech.com. While there are links to all his endeavors there, let me highlight two of them. Learning2.org, a nonprofit international conference specifically around social learning and Enduro Learning, a group of educational technology consultants that work with schools to help them understand how to use technology with kids in innovative ways. Check Jeff out and reach out. He is doing great work out there. We are talking about community this week. And in the case of Where There's Smoke, we are all the architects and the builders. You are making this happen. So if you dig the show, tell a friend, tell a few, invite them to listen, invite them to learn. And please continue to engage with our community. Find us on Facebook at forward slash WTS pod. Follow us on Twitter. I'm at Brett Gaida. Nick is at Podcast Monster. Find me on LinkedIn. There's only one Brett Gaida out there. Email us with thoughts, ideas, questions, comments, our email is connect at wherethersmoke.co. Join our mailing list. Do that on our website, wherethersmoke.co, or on your phone right now by simply texting the word SMOKE to 66866. And if there is somewhere online you would like this community to expand to, let us know. We want to be where you are. Keep an eye out for our new Instagram page in the near future. You know, once Nick and I uh, settle into our new homes. And where else? Snapchat? 
Pinterest? Want us to turn scripts into medium posts? How about a live streaming of a recording of a show on Mercat or Periscope? It's your community. It's your call. Let us know. Let's keep this episode moving a little bit longer. Since we're talking community today, let's give some gratitude and love to ours. Thank you to everyone who chimed in about your favorite online communities. We couldn't use them all, but they all mattered, and we love hearing from you. Heather Pierce, we were very touched by your emails sharing what WTS means to you. Your words gave us big smiles and warm hearts. Thank you. For the Twitter love, Little Black Coffee Cup, See You in Toronto, Pilar Monday, Scott Lawrence, at Professor BB, at Erica Robin, at Hawk Ann, our envoy in Stockholm, at Carrie Gormley for playing it forward, Mitch Lindsay, Kay Marcus, and the vegan roadie, love the green hearts. Mucho gracias to a few of last week's iTunes reviewers, New England girl Becky K, pilot at HYZ and Take Action Q&A. If you have not reviewed the show on iTunes, wherever you are in the world, please, please, please take a moment to do it. It truly helps so much with the visibility and credibility for new listeners. Where There's Smoke is conceptualized, crafted, molded, sketched out, scripted, spoken, edited, manipulated, driven, flown, conducted, and cared for by Brett Gaida and Nick Jaworski. If you want to consult with Nick for your podcast, go to podcastmonster.com. If you're interested in training, coaching, or keynote speaking for you or your company, I'd be honored to discuss that. Email me at connect at wherethersmoke.co. Our theme song, written and performed by Des McKinney. Additional music by Kevin McLeod. To see show notes, which include links to all the clips used in every episode, Go to www.wherethersmoke.co. Our clip MVP of the week goes to Jack Shepard. We have to go back! Ah, oh, Jack, 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 Jack. If only you'd heard this episode before you made that call. And finally, amongst all this change and movement and travel, we turn to Lloyd Dobler to keep us grounded and assure us that it'll all be okay. Nobody thought we'd do this. Nobody really thinks it will work, do they? No. You just described every great success story. All right, sorry, sorry. I know. Where's the day? It's coming. Any second now. Any second now. See you next week.